if we were to think about love as a pencil, now last week we saw pencils and we thought about pencils and, and thinking that if a pencil had a brain and a pencil would think about himself or herself, depending on whichever one they wanted to be, you know, it would have one job, right? A pencil designed and created, it's got wood, it's got lead, it's just one thing, right? It's, it's easy, it's simple, I'm created to write. I'm created to put down a piece of paper to write, to create, to draw, simple. But what if that, what if that pencil was taken by somebody and, and then broke into pieces? And, and that poor pencil, the tragedy of being created to do one thing, just being able to write, just being able to draw and colorful and, and to be smashed and thrown all over the place. And sometimes we know that in life, we as people, the same thing has happened. God created us with purpose. God created us with love, with a drive, with passion. God has a plan for all of our lives. But sometimes... Like the pencil in the wrong hands, the pencil that gets placed in the wrong hands, sometimes there's other people who cause us to become broken, cause us to become broken. And today, Happy Mother's Day, and the title again is The Power of Those Who Love. And so if we were to think of now our pencil in the sense of love, all of us this morning, I think, have a different definition sometimes of love and what love is. If you were to simply look up love in the dictionary, it's an intense feeling, a deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in something. An intense feeling, deep affection. And how many of us in life, if love, again, is like a pencil, how many of us have seen our love and ourselves be broken? How many of us from family and friends, relationships, sometimes putting our love into the wrong place? And what's the result? Broken. Brokenness. If you were to look up broken in the dictionary, it means to be fractured, damaged, no longer in one piece or in working order like our pencil. Pretzel. Pencil. <laughs> pretzel sound good, though. Our theme for the month has been unbroken. And if you were to look up unbroken in the dictionary, it means to be unfractured, undamaged, not interrupted, not disturbed, a continuous motion, whole, intact, and in one piece. And so today, our title, again, The Power of Those Who Love. And so if you have your Bibles, our first verse this morning, we're going to go to John chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 2. And it says, Jesus' disciples were also invited to the celebration the wine supply ran out during the festivities. Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And so this morning as we define the power of those who love, I think most of us would agree that love is powerful. I think most of us un would understand the intense feeling to be loved and to give love, to understand how awesome and amazing love is, to know that we are loved, to know that God loves us every single day, that God loves us, he cares for us. Yes, he has a plan for us. That love is important. But as people, we were, we were designed and we were created to understand and to want love, but also to receive and to give love. And so there is a power for those who learn to love people. 
the power of those who love people. And so our first example this morning, we have Jesus' mom in honor of Mother's Day. And there's a few things that she did out of her love. The first thing that she did is she saw the need. She saw the need. And how many of us know that sometimes that is part of the beginning in order to show love? Sometimes we need to see a need to, in order to know that we need to fulfill a need, right? And sometimes moms do this way better than, than any of us because they see needs, they smell the need, they can just sniff it out of anywhere. Jesus' mom in this story, she's at a, a, a wedding celebration and they ran out of wine. And so she is the first to jump. She is the first to react. She is the first person to do something about this. And it's important, secondly, as we learn to have the power of those who love, if there's a need that needs to be fulfilled, we also know, need to know who to ask for help. We also need to know who to ask for help. She goes to Jesus. She asks Jesus for his help. She also learns to prioritize the need over, she asks Jesus, she says, we're out of wine. Jesus said, woman, it's not my time. And then she goes on to say, do whatever he tells you. Now, I think that's interesting because how many moms have ever told their sons, daughters that they're going to do something that they didn't feel like it? Right? How many of us as people, as adults, as bosses, how many of us have ever had to tell someone they had to do something, to take out the trash, to mow the yard, to do this, to do that? She told Jesus, the Son of God, which is her son, I want you to turn water and wine. I want you to do something special for these people. And Jesus said, it's not my time. Did she care that it was his time? No. She saw a need, and what did she want to do with that need? She wanted to fulfill that need. How important is it for us to fulfill and meet the needs of people? Well, Jesus' half-brother James, he said in James chapter 2, verse 14, he said, what good is it, brothers, sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself, it isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. There is such a power of those who learn to love. How? Where? What does it come from? Being able to understand the needs of people. How many of us, we can drive around, we can live in our town, we can live in our community, we can walk through our houses, we can walk through this valley, and how many of us can see the needs of people. If love is the most powerful thing that we do, Jesus' mom, she played, she lived the example, I see a need, and I'm just going to make sure that I meet the need. And I have to learn how to prioritize, even over time, even over energy, even over whatever it may be, ill feelings, if there's a need that I can meet, then I'm going to do it. And I think sometimes, you know, we can, there are some people who they see the needs of people and they just go above and beyond all the time and they neglect sometimes their own needs, right? And so there is a balance to meeting the needs of other people. Jesus' mom in the story, she put her full faith and trust in Jesus. She put her hope, her trust in her son Jesus that he was going to be able to do something in this moment. There was some kind of miracle that was going to happen. She put her faith and trust and hope in her son. And God's asking us today, 
that we need to put our faith and hope and trust in our kids. The mom in this story, all she did was ask for a little help, but she knew, she trusted, and she expected something great to happen. How many of us have young people in our life today? How many of us have great, little, wonderful young people in our life today? And so one of the things that God is asking us to do is to put our faith and trust in him, but faith and trust to install into the younger generation. You can do great things. You can do something. You can be a part of something. Matthew 17, 20 says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus said. I tell you the truth, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. The mother of Jesus, the power of her love is because she had faith in her son. God is asking us to put faith in him, faith in our kids, faith in each other, faith that God wants to do great things, not only in me, but God wants to do great things in you. God wants to do great things with our younger generation. And I think sometimes the thing that makes it hard is with learning to understand greater things is how do I teach my kids to do greater things when I don't feel I've done anything great? And how do I install in them to be bigger and greater and beyond themselves? Maybe sometimes when I don't feel that I have done bigger, greater things. John 14, 12, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done, even greater things, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Have we ever taken a step back today, 2023, and said, what's going to happen when we go? Have you ever asked yourself as a parent, as an adult, what will happen to my family when I go? What's going to happen to my kids? What's going to happen to my grandkids? Or even without kids, just what's going to happen to the world? Am I going to see the end of the world? Will I be here at the end when Jesus comes back? You know, what will happen? What's going to happen to the next generation? There's a generation of kids who don't want to work. There's a, there's a generation of kids who, you know, just hardly want to do anything except be on their devices, Right? What's going to happen when we go? What's going to happen to the next generation? If we don't put our faith and trust and hope to instill in them, to push them, to inspire them, to encourage them to do greater things, are we doing our part? We can talk about the next generation and what's going to happen, but if we do nothing to help the next generation, then, then maybe that part is on us as well. If we don't do anything to install faith, the mom and Jesus saw that Jesus could do something beyond what anyone else expected at that wedding. We have to do that for our kids. We have to do that for other people's kids. We have to do that to show, to inspire that kids today, for kids tomorrow, for the next generation, that when they put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus, they can do something greater beyond themselves. Our next example is Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 20. It says, The mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, In your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the place of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus answered by saying to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. And so our second example this morning is an example of a mom who was really bold. She was bold. 
She wasn't afraid to go to Jesus. And here's a guy, you know, think about this for a second. Jesus just wasn't an ordinary man. Did he look ordinary? Did he have a nice beard? Was his hair, you know, nicely combed? All of those things. Were his clothes clean? I'm sure they were semi-clean, right? Jesus, it said there wasn't anything, you know, just crazy that drew us to him. But he, there was something special about him because how many men walked on water? How many men raised the dead? How many men cleansed lepers and opened the eyes of the blind? And so we see the story of a mom who went before him. And what is the first thing this mom did? She got down on her knees. And as she got down on her knees, what is the second thing she did? She said, Jesus, I have a favor. Yes. Could you take my sons, my two handsome boys, Billy and Frankie, and could you put them on the right and on the left? This, this mom was so bold coming before God, coming before the Son of God. And I want to encourage us today, we need to be bold in what we ask God for. This mom, there was no second guessing. There was no thought of, oh, my gosh, you know, what's he going to do? Am I going to be rejected? Am I going to be turned down? God wants us to be bold in our prayers. God wants us to be bold for ourselves. God wants us to be bold for our kids. He wants us to be bold for our community. He wants us to ask for things. Jesus said in the verse that I read before, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown. God is asking us to be bold in how we pray and how we talk to him and how we come before him. There is power in those who learn to love and be bold and be bold as this mom in the story was this morning. Can I ask you a bold question? Can I ask Something bold. My next example, if you have your Bible, 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 14. It says, later Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? And Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son and her husband's an old man. Call her back, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time, you'll be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried, a man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. Verse 20, the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap, but around new time, he died. She carried, he's totally fine. You know, you're good. You're good. Don't even sweat it. We're all good. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Verse 20. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around new time he died, and she carried him up and laid him on the bed where the man of God then shut the door and left him there. That She sent him a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. And she said, it will be all right. Verse 24. So she saddled the donkey instead of the servant. Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. And as she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance and said to Gazi, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband, your child? Yes, the woman said to Gazi, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God of the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. And then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? 
didn't I say, don't deceive me, don't get my hopes up. And then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff, go, don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the, but the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not go home unless you go with me. And so Elisha returned with her. And there's a story here of a husband and a wife. And at this time, there was prophets who led the people of Israel. Prophets were men who would get direct messages from God and they would give it to the people. And prophets performed miracles. There was things that they did. When they prayed, things happened. The, the rains would stop. The rains would come back. They healed people with leprosy. There was things that prophets did that no other men or women did in this time. And so here's a couple in the story who said, you know what? Let's treat this guy right. Right? He's a prophet. They're, he's a powerful person from God. So they built a little house on the side or actually on top. They said, let's take care of this guy. So every time he comes by, he's gonna, he can stay there. We're going to feed him all those good things. Because how many of us know if you treat people good, typically good things happen back. Right? And so Elisha is, he is appreciating the hospitality. And he says to the woman one day, what can God do for you? And she said, I really would like a son. And so she lived a long time wanting but never getting. She desired and she wanted to have a son, but she was never able to have a son. And so Elisha said, this time next year, you will have a son. And she says to him, don't please get my hopes up. Don't do this to me. But the word came to pass. The prophet was speaking correctly. She had a son. And after he was young, he got a headache one day. And next thing you know, he fell over dead. And so she waited her life to have this son. And as a young kid, the young kid got a headache. And next thing you know, the, the son died. And so she carried, she had this son carried into this prophet's room. She laid him there. And she goes to her husband and says, we need to do something about it. I'm going to go now. And he goes, why do you want to go now? Can't, can't it wait? If your son just died, I'm sure that some of us would be thinking, he's dead, right? There's nothing that we can do. But see, in her mind, she knew with the power of God, anything is possible. Anything's possible. And she says, I'm not going to wait. I am going to go right now. The power of those who love, sometimes we have to see the balance when we need to do something right now. There are times in life where, yes, we need to learn how to wait and be patient. Patience is a virtue. Learning how to, you know, carefully wait for someone, something in life is a part of life. But when there's an emergency, when there is something that is drastic and is moving in this story, we see a mom who had this power, the love for her son. She was not going to wait. She was not going to accept. She was not going to accept that her son is dead. She knew that this gift, her son, was a gift from God. And so she was not going to delay. She was not going to put it off. I'm going to go now. Her husband's like, send the servant. No, 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 no. I'm going to go. And I love when she gets before the prophet, he asks, us, is everything okay? And she says, everything is fine. What do you mean everything is fine? Your son is dead. And I have to wonder for that, for that second in her, in her mind, did she say everything was fine because she knew that everything would be okay? That she had the faith already to believe that once she got to this prophet, once she asked for help, that her son would be okay. 
Elisha looks at her and he says, I can tell that you're deeply troubled. You know, sometimes, how many of us have ever gone through something that, that causes a deep feeling of anguish and, and heartbreak and something that is hard and horrific and stressful? And it's one of those moments sometimes, like in this story, for a mom who loved her son. This was the thing that she loved more than anything. She loved her baby boy. She loved her kid. It troubled her because she lost the one thing that she loved so much. But her, this, this intense feeling and emotion of being deeply troubled, what did it lead her to? It led her to God. It led her to a man who was filled by God, who was filled with the Spirit of God. And so is being troubled a part of life? Is being stressed out a part of life? Is going through hardship a part of life? Yes. Is being sick a part of life? Absolutely, right? There's so many things up and down and roller coasters that we go through in this life that we live. But the biggest question is, where do we allow it to lead us to? Where do we allow it to lead us to? And we see in this story... This mom, she goes, I am not going to go. The prophet was going to send his assistant, and she says, I'm not going unless you go. Again, a boldness, a faith, a trust, and a confidence to say, I am not going to go through this. I am not, I'm not leaving here until you go with me. Do we have that boldness this morning to say, how many times... Have we ever prayed for something and wanted something and said, God, I'm not going to leave my room. I'm not going to stop praying until you answer this prayer. God, I am not going to go here. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do anything until you answer this prayer to give everything that we have. To say, I am not going to give up on this. I am God. I'm going to be bold. God, I'm believing. I'm hoping. I'm trusting. And I will not give up without you going with me. There was a... Uh, a prophet in the 60s who used to speak publicly, and she would be in the, always in the back room. And before this lady would go out, she'd always say, I'm not going, I'm not going to talk until I know God is with me. I'm not going to go. There's nowhere I'm going to go. And how many of us have ever seen, how many of us do not like to get tickets from the, the police when we get pulled over, right? That's not very fun. How many of us don't like car accidents? How many of us don't like when tragedy and bad things happen. If we were to be given and to understand that there's a voice, that there is a friend, that there is a helper that can lead us, that can help us, that can guide us everywhere we go and everything that we do called the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit that can get us, that can lead us, that can help us, that can empower us to stay out of trouble every single waking moment. And so to have the same attitude as this mom in the story, God, I'm not going anywhere without your presence this morning. God, I'm not going anywhere without your Holy Spirit. Fill me again fresh with your Holy Spirit today. God, fill me with you. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, lead and guide me today everywhere we go. And then my last example this morning is 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 1. And one day the widow of a member of the group of the prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead. And you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Go into your house with your sons, shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. 
And so she did as she was told, and her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. And then she told the man of God what had happened. And he said to her, now sell the olive oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on us what, what is left over. And I want to think about that for a second as our last example this morning. It's kind of a powerful moment. You know, for this, this mom, for this wife in this story, she's married to a prophet. And again, these men, they were, they're not any different than us this morning, right? Not any different than Raphael, handsome, right? Tall, strong, right? They're not any different than us, but these men were men that were picked and, and chosen and selected to get messages for the Holy Spirit to fill them, to consume them, to stand out, to be different, to be used, to have wisdom, to, to perform miracles. And so these prophets were mighty men at the time. And so she was married to this mighty prophet, but her husband died. And for some reason, even back then, I can't believe it, they had creditors. Even back then, there was... Possibly the IRS calling, right? Even back then, there was people who obviously were bill collectors, and they came knocking on her door after her husband died and said, you better pay up. We don't care that your husband's dead, or we're going to take your two boys. Now, how many of us, whether we're a dad, mom, or even just anybody nice, if someone showed up at our door and said, I'm taking your kids as slaves, how would you feel? I mean, you might want to you know, run for a shotgun really quick. I don't know. But how many, that feeling, anxiety, I wonder, how, how would that feel? To say, I can't believe if I can't pay this, they're going to take my kids. If I can't pay these bills, they're going to take my kids as slaves. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, one of the biggest things that I think that we deal with today is, is fear and worry about tomorrow fear and worry about the unknown. And how many of us think about the future and get worried this morning? How many of us think about the unknown future and get a little worried? How many of us think that for ourselves, how is the next 30 years of my life going to play out? How's the next 40 years of my life going to play out? And how can anxiety and worry build in those moments? How many of us can think, how and what will happen for my future, for my family, for my kids, for my grandkids? One of the greatest tools that the enemy uses is fear and worry about what will happen tomorrow. This is a powerful story to be five, 6,000 years ago and to see it. It's the exact same thing that people deal with today. And I don't think we have people knocking on our doors saying, pay your bill or I'm going to take your kids. But there was, there was a debt. There was creditors. There is this weight of, oh my gosh, if I don't take care of this, I'm in so much trouble. But what did the what did the woman do in the story? The powerful thing of someone who knew how to love, who knew how to give, who knew how to, to find the right person. When she was under attack, what did she do? She went and found the prophet. She went and found the prophet and she asked for help. I'm under attack. I'm under attack right now. My two sons are under attack right now because they could be taken. 
Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. One will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and be enslaved to money. This is what I tell you, not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, drink, or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food in your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And I want you to ask yourself this morning, can all my worries, everything that I've worried to up to this point in life, in our 39 or 29 years of living, can all the things that I worry, all the things that I've worried about, did they add a single moment to me? Did they add a single moment? How many of us have ever heard it's okay to worry? It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to worry about something if it's worth to be worried for, right? Jesus said, do not worry. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, all his glory, was not dressed as beautiful as they were. God cares about you. God cares about us. God cares about our future. God cares about our present. God cares about us. But why is it one of the hardest things to do is to learn not to worry? And so our last example this morning as we start to wrap up, we see that there was a mom in the story, the powerful, you know, there was a few different examples this morning, four different examples of moms in honor of Mother's Day. One last time, turn the mom next to you and say happy Mother's Day. And the great examples that they are and who they are. And sometimes, you know, how many of us know that in life, it's learning to follow great examples and to have great examples. And so we see from our very first example, Jesus' mom, what did she do? What did she have? What was the love that she possessed? She believed and she trusted and had faith in Jesus that he could do something greater. Whether it's in our own kids or in a younger generation, that's what God is asking us to do, that we must instill in them faith and trust and hope in God that he can do something greater. Our second mom, she gave us the example to be bold, to ask things bold for her kids. Remember, I want my two sons to rule right next to you. There was 12 disciples there was 10 other guys that were part of the group. They had this gang, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. And this mom says, my two deserve, right? My two deserve to be in the right and the left. My two boys. Because what she was asking for basically was saying, my two sons deserve and are better than the rest of the other guys. Were they? Probably not. But was it she felt the desire and the boldness to want something great for her kids? We have to want something great for the next generation. Whether we're going to be here to see it or not, we have to want, we need to be bold in how we pursue the next generation, helping them and inspiring them to be great and to be great people and to become great people. Our third story, we see a mom who the only thing she wanted was a son. And in this story... This mom, she lost the one thing that she got. Remember, what was the one thing she said to the prophet? Don't get my hopes up. She was given a son. And then she loses the son. But she kept her faith. So no matter what happened, 
She kept her faith. We have to keep on going. We have to keep on believing. No matter when tragedy comes, no matter what happens in us, in family, in friends, and people around us, we have to keep believing. We have to keep knowing God will get us through. God is going to make a way when there seems to be no way. And for our last mom in the story, she was faced with debt. And how many of us, we don't like debt, right? We get in trouble when we get in debt, right? She was faced with debt. And this debt was so large that they were going to take her two sons as slaves. But I don't think she worried. Because what did she do? She went to the prophet. She said, I need help. I need help. And what happened? The prophet in the story, he gave her, he said, just collect some jars, fill them up with olive oil, and the minute they run out, sell them and pay off the debtors, all your creditors, and then use the rest for yourself. Because she trusted God, because she trusted in his word, she went to one place, she got the right answer, and all of her bills were paid. Everything was taken care of. Jesus said, do not worry. And I think that's one of the hardest things today. Because how many of us still, no matter how many times we can read the Bible and it says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Let's be honest, how many of us still worry and get afraid? A future, the unknown, who knows? But when we take our life, whether it's broken, unbroken, and put it in the hands of God, when we put it in the right place, it is unbroken every single time. My last verse this morning, 1 Corinthians, remember the title today is The Power of Those Who Love. Love is not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Prophecy, speaking in unknown languages, special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge, it's partial, it's incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and I thought, reasoned like a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then when we'll see everything will become perfect clarity. All that I know is now partial and complete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. The most powerful thing that we can do today, the most powerful thing that we can do the rest of the year is be someone who loves. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is faithful. Love never gives up. Love always hopes. Love has faith. Love is powerful. It is the most powerful thing on this planet, more powerful than anything at all, because we know it's because of love, what God has given to us. And when we accept his love, when we accept that powerful love to go and to give it to every single person that he puts in our lives. Through love this morning, we saw that water was turned into wine, something that we could never imagine doing in ourselves. Water turned into wine. Let's help our kids become a generation that turns water into wine. Not for drinking purposes. 
But let's see our kids do something great, maybe even far greater than what we've done in our life. Let's inspire the next generation to be greater, to do great things, to help see this country, this beautiful country called America, turned into a better place. Maybe we as adults maybe have failed in certain areas in life, in politics, but let us inspire and help the next generation do maybe even far better than what we've done. Let's pray.